Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Yeah. Welcome to J.Ill, a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah. What's up, everybody? It is always a pleasure to uh, be here with you. Welcome to J.Ill, the podcast. This is Jill Scott, Yomp, and I'm here with my sister friends, Laia St. Clair. Hallelujah, that is me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Aja Graydon Danzla. I will since since Laia said hallelujah, I will say Ashe. Come on. Ashe, This is Aja Graydon Danzla. That's all it is. I mean, and I'm in. Okay. I mean. Oh. <laughs> uh, we like a little hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Never gets old. No. I find this particularly appropriate on today because I've been looking forward so much to having this conversation we're going to have today. Mm. I have to make sure that I cover the basics because we need to make sure y'all know who, in fact, we're talking to today. Today, we have a fabulous guest, of course. His name is Ashan Crawley. He's a writer and artist and teacher. Exploring the intersection of performance, Blackness, queerness, and spirituality. Associate Professor of Religious Studies and African American Studies at University of Virginia is the author of Black Pentecostal Breath, The Aesthetics of Possibility, and The Lonely Letters. Now, I just want y'all to know. Those are the receipts. Those are the receipts. <laughs> Those are the receipts. We have to put the receipts out there so that when y'all do your Googling, yes. you do your good, when you do your good, good Googling, that you come up with what you need to happen and everything is there. Okay. But the reason why I love this person is because during the pandemic, um, my my good, good girlfriend, Princess, um, called me on the phone and said, I know you ain't got nothing to do. They won't let you work. And the kids is in yeah. there driving you crazy. She's mm-hmm. like, I got a friend who says you can sit in the back of his classroom online and get mm-hmm. this good Africana studies education. Now, mm-hmm. I won't put this info out there. I told this story already, but I don't want to get him in no trouble. So I ain't going to retell it. <laughs> Y'all going to have to go back and listen to all the episodes. Nice. But I sat in the back of this classroom. 
and we went through some really amazing literature during that during that semester. But one of the books was a Sean Crawley's book, A Pentecostal Breath. And I said, I just went down a rabbit hole really. Oh, gosh. And we're going to talk about this, but he opened up my mind to something that he calls otherwise possibilities. And that for me um, just touched me in a, in a deep place. So anyway, cause y'all know Thank I you. like to be on the social medias. <laughs> I end up yep. finding a shine on the social medias. We got connected on that, found out we knew a bunch of the same people. Same people, same, same people. Same people. I mean, and love, loved some of the same people. Yeah. Tribe, yeah. tribe, tribe. There you have it. God did what God does. Look at God. <laughs> okay, pull the right people together so that they could be family and so that we can all come Definitely. together on this here podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, okay, <laughs> I want you to look to your neighbor. Say neighbor. Neighbor. Welcome, Ashan. Welcome, Welcome Ashan. <laughs> Thank you for the welcome. It's like hot yoga. I've been going to hot yoga. We've had a black teacher, black woman twice. And she definitely said both times, turn to your neighbor on your right and say. I was like, oh, we're doing oh that. <laughs> Very black. Church. Yeah, I, I, I mean, church it. culture yeah. is black culture. Let's just get into it. Is. it. It is. It, it, is. it is what it is. Man, we, it's nice to have an expert so we don't sit here and pontificate. We can actually, you know what I mean? That's, that's what I, I just wanted expert, to say. Well, expert. we talk a lot about on the show about the fact that church, you know, though the intention of church and then, you know, how much we all adore yeah. all of the things out of our culture that come out of church and what it does. And but I think we all can relate in, in particular to that moment in which it does not connect. Mm-hmm. That moment where the community of church doesn't only just not connect and not just church, but many spiritual communities yeah, that yeah. at one point it doesn't connect. And not only does it not connect, it causes harm. Mm-hmm. And that harm, the ripple effect of that harm and what it what it does to us as a community and, and how it serves this as antithesis to what church is supposed to be about and what what we're even supposed to do about it, you know. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, I guess we have to really begin with your background and just like how does this how does this really, you know, touch you and influence your work? Thank you all for having me on the podcast. It's um, a real you joy. Right in, huh? Thank you for being here. It's, it's 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 a joy. It's a joy, and I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna I'm move backwards. I will, I will start by saying, no one has ever heard this before. There was like a moment in the '90s, and this will tell you about like my background. There was a moment in the '90s when Erica Badu released "On and On." Most intellects don't believe in God, but they fear us just the same. Mm. Mm. I was like, oh, I really loved the sound of on and on. Mm -hmm. But I was like, uh, that don't that don't sound right to my good, good, good Pentecostal Christian peers. Interesting. There's something low two five percent are up up and down. Not right about it. (laughs) And I remember the first time listening, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. First time listening to a long walk on in the park Mm -hmm. after dark. Find a spot mm-hmm. for us. The first verse talks about revelation. I was like, yes, mm-hmm. praise the Lord. And then the second one was like, Sora. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. That's not, that's something not Christian 
about this. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time really listening to Kindred, the family song. And like reading the liner notes. And I was like, wait, I think they Muslim. <laughs> Muslims ain't Christian. <laughs> Christians ain't saved. Mm. So the Ashan that you are meeting at uh, 42 years old mm. is very different than the Ashan that I was at the age of 18. I grew up in East Orange, New Jersey in a household. My father is a preacher, pastor of Pentecostal church. My mother is a preacher, even though in our organization, Church of God in Christ, they don't ordain women to be preachers because of sexism. Um, but my mother is a preacher. My brother was the musician, the Hammond organist for our church um, until he moved away for college. I became the organist um, for the church once he left. So I guess at the age of 14, I started playing. I moved to Philadelphia. I tell people I moved to Philly to go to University of Pennsylvania for undergrad. And the first thing I did when I moved to Philly was find a church. I didn't choose my classes. I didn't care about my classes. I wanted to make sure I had a church home. I needed a place that could take care of me. I was very, very, and I started the New Spirit of Penn, which is the gospel choir at University of Pennsylvania. They still sing today. And I was very much a part of a very insular and doctrinaire, uh, but also very musical Black Pentecostal church world. I loved it. Um, I love playing a tambourine. I didn't love playing a Hammond organ, but I loved directing choirs, loved directing choirs. And I loved the sort of sound of Black church. There was a lot of noisiness in Pentecostal churches. We made a lot of noise when we prayed. We made a lot of noise when we shouted, danced in the spirit. A lot of noise when you speak in tongues. I loved it. There was nothing about like, I would, (laughs) I had a great tape recorder. And I would go to church concerts and other church services that were not my home church. And I would take my gray tape recorder with me. And some friends who did not know my name would call me boy with the gray tape recorder because I always had a recorder so I could record the church services so I could listen to primarily the music and learn from the music that I was listening to. And so I was in this very insular church world, but I had friends at school who were very kind, loved me, I loved them, who were like not Christian or were listening to secular music, listening to hip hop, listening to things that I had never heard before. And I was really, really, really drawn to a lot of what I was hearing, but there was like words and things and concepts for God that I was not acquainted with, that I also felt like, this is a this could be a problem and so the things that I would try to do is like when I heard on and on I would like try to change the I was like oh no she's not she could not be saying so I'm Mm. gonna change the words somehow to be something else so I would like find some kind of Christian language that I felt like was the thing she was really saying and it's like she wasn't saying it but it was me trying to like really force my structure of belief into something else, even though the other thing was like trying to, you know, push against my own understanding that was really limited and really very much a problem, very violent. And I remember doing the same thing with lots and just lots and lots of music. I could not, when D'Angelo's Voodoo came out, I could not listen to the album. Because it's like, voodoo, saints don't do that. Like, this is, like, literally, I'm in college at this point, 
And I'm still very much like, oh, no, no, no. You know, I, you know, I pray. And nobody's forcing you to do this. This is just who you are on your inside. Mm -hmm. More real talk after the break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. When my um, maternal grandmother passed away, the day of her funeral, I was four years old. I woke up at like six in the morning, apparently. I used to sleepwalk a lot. I woke up, got out of bed, walked to the threshold of my parents' door, screamed at them, we can make it. And then I went back to sleep. And my parents have told me several times because my mother was 28 at that time. She was really young. Um, they told me that that is what allowed them to get through the day. This like four-year-old who doesn't know what he's saying, kind of don't know what's happening, but says this thing. And I think I've always had like a very strong sense for the spiritual, but because of the context under which I was having this strong sense of the spiritual, it made it really, really difficult to figure out a relation to other spiritual practices that were not my own because everything was sinful. And it wasn't just like everything out there is sinful, all the non-Christians are sinful. It's also like most of y'all in here who go to church every week are also sinful. And oh. for me, as like a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, it's like fine. But like, you know, eight years old, when you start to like be attracted to people and you're like, why am I attracted to him? Mm. Why am I attracted to him? Why am I attracted to him? Uh, you start to also really feel that the things that you're saying about other people being sinful and heading to hell are also things that you're kind of feeling about yourself, but you don't know how to really express it. There's literally no one that you can talk to uh, in the 80s and the 90s. There's no one that you can say, hey, I feel really, really like queer 
please don't judge me, but can we talk about it? So like you're carrying this strong sense of spiritual sort of orientation, a deep desire to love God, a deep love for the cultural practices of the Black church, which I still love today, but also this deep shame that you can't really express. Mm. And in the 80s and the 90s, at the same time, a lot of musicians, choir directors, and singers <laughs> are dying from right. AIDS, the AIDS crisis. And you hear people talking very, very negatively uh, about, being about these people. Yeah. But in like rumors and hushed conversation or through sermons where they say very pejorative things. And mm. you're like, oh, I feel like... I'm one of these people they're talking about. So I literally, mm. I can't say it. And also, am I going to die like they're dying? Mm. I'm 10 years old. I'm 12 years old. Like trying to like process having And you're hearing love. this, you're ultimately hearing this in like your favorite place to be. Hearing mm. it in my favorite place to be. And when like it's so soon, by the time you got to college, you still were keeping as, as much as you were trying to shield your ears from what you were hearing your music, you also were shielding your friend circle in that way. Like your friend circle was thinking the way you think my friend so the the curious thing i would say about my friend circle when i was when i first arrived to university of pennsylvania my first week of um there was a summer program for black students who uh were coming to the university it was called afams at that point and i had met this uh black young woman who made some joke about something and i'm gonna call you cookie i don't remember the joke but I remember embracing the nickname and I embraced the nickname. I wrote about this a while ago. I embraced the nickname because it could be a new identity for me. It could be a way for me to establish myself where people didn't know me because of my parents didn't know me because of the church. And I could like be my own person, but the person that I became was like the choir director, the person who went to church every week, the person who, <laughs> who would like very explicitly intentionally and i think with conviction say it over like no gay people are going to hell if they don't get saved like very much like in college you were saying this out loud oh yes oh, oh yes. shit oh okay. it was but it i was think a, i think wow. what's really important here is that and what i just love that ashana's talking about is that i think a lot of times we have this we we have a, a real slender understanding of the fact that people can be uh, perpetrators of of uh, hateful and Thank anti, you. you know, anti energy that is yeah, really yeah. Th from a group that they belong to from their own identity. It's like this, this thing that we have this hard time understanding. But we know it from our politicians and we know it from our, rev our preachers and our, we know it. Right. We see it, but I still think we just have a hard time yeah, really kind of owning that you can, you can be black and be anti-black. Right. Oh, you yeah. know, you can be. <laughs> At the you same damn time. Damn time. <laughs> I feel like had I not had a series of random occurrences, mm. that I would be like that preacher. Like it's there's nothing special about it. I, I you know I don't believe that. I think that we all are presented with opportunities to make certain kinds of choices, and it's what you do with the choices that you have and. Mm. I, I went on a date. Maybe it wasn't a date. I went out with someone, uh, Black Friday of 1999. He went to Rutgers, I went to Penn. And so I was home in New Jersey, we met on AOL. 
long time ago, y'all. Come on, man, AOL. <laughs> we went out to some diner. We talked for like two hours. We went to a park and walked around. It's like like midnight. We walked around. Oh, they had South Street I Diner. In, mm-hmm. I was in love. He was mm-hmm. not. Um, we remained in loose contact. We went out 2000, so the next year, Black Friday again, because I was home for Thanksgiving. And the first time we went out, we talked about like both going to church and having parents who were preachers and just literally the language of trying to get the, just trying to get it out of our system so that, you know, by the age of 25, we can like really be serious, get married, have wives, children, and like totally like serious about it. And the next year we went out and I said something similar to what we were talking about the year previous. And he said to me, oh, you still think being gay is a sin? Question mark. And it was like, what do you mean question? Like, it was never a question for me. It was always, of course it's sinful. People that are like out and gay have just accepted the fact that they're sinners. Like that was the way that I thought about it. And this question really interrupted not just the fact that someone could accept, in quotes, their uh, queerness, but that for them, it's not even an accepted sort of idea that this thing could be sinful. And so it actually opened up my mind to the fact that, oh, people think differently about this thing that I thought uh, everyone has sort of accepted. And so having that experience was really, it was a simple experience, but it was really, I think, a necessary experience for me because it really pushed me to say, oh, maybe. And then I get kicked out of undergrad, some people know, because I had low grades, I get back in. I was still directing the, the school choir. We were asked to sing for the queer week at University of Pennsylvania before I started changing my ideas. And I said to the board, of the choir, we will not be singing for them. This is a direct quote. Mm. Because we do not want to give them the impression that we are okay with their sin. Like, it's what I said. It's very serious. Like, it wasn't like, and then I probably went home and got on the party line and like, tried to get a boy to come over to my apartment. Mm, mm, mm. Like, it's, it was that kind of mm. deep conviction about something being wrong at the same time, not really having any, like there are no real conversations that I'm having with people that could interrogate what I'm thinking or my behaviors. And like, I'm meeting so many people from churches on a party line. I used to call it a party line for you Philly people then. It's called a party line every night. And I would stay on the party line for hours. And I met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that I met in Parline, I would go. I was a musician for several churches in Philly. I would go to a church playing, and I'd be like, "Oh, I met I know you. you. Ooh, <laughs> I met you." Or sh- in the Eat Bayou way, it's not even like a show. Like, it isn't. People's kind of like, "Oh, you know this." <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. No, you make me no. There was this one dude. Yeah. Who I feel like I'm telling on myself. We hooked up at my apartment. We met on the party line. 
I went to a concert and I saw him at the concert and he spoke to me and I was so aghast. How dare you speak to me, you sinner? I don't know you. <laughs> like, what? And he was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And I was like, oh, I, like, I actually, so I'm also like a really, uh, I'm a really how, innocent. How, I, think what I'm, I'm, I think what I'm deeply, deeply how like, was I? <laughs> listen, not only how old were you, mm-hmm. but how do you then, how, how do you at some point yeah. like, kind of reconcile this moment mm-hmm. with yourself? Because one of the things that I love, and I listened to you on another podcast once, talking to a group of young Christian people mm-hmm. in a young Christian group, and you just were able to, in this kind of beautiful way, and I know I'm skipping a lot, because I know this is not a process that you can even really like compact, but I feel like you have reconciled your love for this yeah. space. Like you've been able to um, hold on to a, 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 a such a caring, meticulously mm-hmm. caring like attitude towards church and towards spiritual spaces and even the institution of it, you know what I mean? And breaking down all the beautiful pieces of it while still being really true to yourself and honoring who you are. And I think that is a dance that a lot of people really have a difficult time with. And this Mm -hmm. just really goes into all kinds of religions. But I think a lot of times church just gets put on blast for this because it's so directly associated with blackness. So as black people, we're like, how do we do this? Because I look at you in awe with that because it's so it feels so honest. Well, I mean, it was not easy at all. I mean, like you hear the things that I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I wasn't saying them. I wasn't saying them like jokingly. You were your feet were in cement. Like I was serious. Like I was serious. And I was mostly trying to prove to what I thought God to me at that point. I'm not going to cry, but like that I was serious. You try really hard to say, no, I am trying to live this thing that you all have. You know, I write about this in the loneliness book. Like I have never been as lonely as I've been since I've come out. But like I was Mm -hmm. also lonely, like when I was like trying to live the very, very Christian life that I was told that I was supposed to live. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was it was not easy to begin to have that person ask me that question at that diner. One thing I will credit my parents with is they instilled in my brother and I a deep desire to have integrity. That integrity was more important than like the thing that you say is like the way that you have to live. And, you know, I tell this story all the time. My mother, she got saved at the age of 14. She was in a school marching band in Newark, New Jersey. She went to the teacher the next day and said, I can't be in the marching band anymore. Why not? I can't wear pants anymore. I got saved yesterday. Mm. I can't wear pants. And he said, "Okay, you can practice with us. You'll get your grade based on practice. You don't have to march when we do the actual marching. And, you know, I don't care about people wearing pants or not. I don't think she cares anymore about like wearing pants or not. She doesn't. But like, I remember like we would go to Macy's when I was younger. It was never like a question of, is she going to have an existential crisis about buying a skirt today? No, it was like, this is just the thing that she does. It was never like a question of, is it hard for her 
to like not wear pants. It was like, no, this is what I believe. So this is what I do. And so like I learned very early that you have to try to live the thing that you say that you believe or there's a problem. And like the problem that I kept running up against is we keep saying we believe this thing about queer people, about women, about non-Christians, but like some of us have family who are not Christians, who we love, who we are not in a paternalistic relation to. Some of us have real deep relationships with people who are queer that we are not trying to send them to hell. Why are there all these queer people in these churches still? Like there was something that was <laughs> that you not, enjoy, we love. Like there was something, it wasn't matching. Yeah. And like having this person say, oh, you still think it's sinful. And then, you know, taking a class where the professor is showing things about like black representation in the media, you say that it's wrong. Latinx representation in media, you say that it's wrong. Women representations in media, and you say, look at the consistency, it's not the same, but there's some cleavages, there's some relations. And the section she does on queer people, you're like, oh, I can't. I almost had an existential crisis in that class because the the response of integrity is there's at least some consistency with which the way people talk about queer people and the Bible, which is the same way they talk about Black people, the same kinds of practices of marginalization, it seems consistent. Or I could just say, but the Bible says this is sinful, so I can't accept what she says. And instead, I decided to do nothing. I just didn't do the response the responses for the homework for that section. And I refused to think about it. And I wrote that professor years later to say, I had an existential crisis in your class, but thank you. Because that non-date in 2000, that class, like two years later, and like, just like doing like research on Yahoo, because Google didn't exist at that point. And like just reading things, it made me start to say, well, I actually don't know. I don't know if I can say with conviction anymore that queerness is sinful. I can't say that the Bible says these things. I'm not willing to say those things anymore. And so it, I was really being pushed to really evaluate my own life world. So I left the gospel choir at the school. I refused to play for them and to like direct them anymore. I still was a musician because I need the money. But like I was trying to to divest from a lot of the spaces where I had leadership, public facing leadership roles in churches, mm. because except for the organ. Because I, I felt like I didn't want to like talk openly about what I was questioning, but I also knew that I could no longer accept the things that I was saying in the t- in the times previous just because when did you feel comfortable with actually speaking out publicly about it like so yeah now the clearness yeah when you've written these books and so like when you're feeling like i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say something about it is there a, I, you know i don't i don't want to be sense? hollywood like is there a switch that goes on like no we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. 
because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash the shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. It seems to me that that when we're brought up in any particular religion, that we end up being in kind of an envelope. The whole world is happening around us, but we're inside this envelope safe and sound, oh, kind of. And then when mm-hmm. you grow up a little bit, when you mature and you're out in the world on your own, you find out that not everybody who is Muslim is in the Taliban. Yeah. You know, yeah. you find out that everybody that claims Christianity is mm. not a kind. There's some very, very mean people that I've met in life that <laughs> a I've whole met. lot of them actually. <laughs> you claim yeah. what yeah. you claim. Because that yeah. ain't yeah. right. Like, yeah. The, yeah. You know, there um I definitely remember the the um the stereotypes for sure, you know, about um church girls, you yeah. know, being yeah. loose. Mm. Yep. You know, um, all the things all that, the things. that life preaches kids to, yeah, mm-hmm. being bad as hell, mm-hmm. going being an African American or or being Latina or being Asian, um, and going to um a different kind of church or going to a church, yeah, and feeling feeling alienated, um, because of your race, yeah, so, so feeling alienated or feeling alienated in your own church environment. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like also too, like what we, what we, what we hadn't really delved into in this conversation is really also about like when you're not in a place that's foreign, when you're in the place that you came to be, you want to be there, and you yourself are feeling the per- are the person who's feel feeling isolated, and the 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 conversations and the interactions that you're having with people in your spiritual space that's supposed to be your safe space that ends up being not safe. Yeah. And I think that's 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 a good question, though. That's a good question. Yeah. I I mean, you, too, as you know, in your church. uh, I grew up in church, so I've had lots of church. I I know church well. Yeah, I know church well. So I know them both. But I'm curious in that moment, like, what do you like in retrospect? Now that you have all this knowledge and this experience, like, what do you tell that person? Do you tell that person that maybe you need to find a new church home or do you tell that person to just, you know, accept people for who they are? What do you do? Oh, see, that's, I mean, for me, that's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. I, some days I want to say, no, like community is struggle. 
And like, it's not to romanticize struggle at all, but it's like being with people that are different from you is being with people that are different from you. And it's hard. And like, it's not always easy. And like, it's about what you can make together in the space and the time that you're together and don't allow for like harm to happen to you. But like community doesn't mean agreement. And so like, I think, Mm. you know, we exist in a moment of community and that's supposed to collapse with agreement. Mm. And so everyone doesn't agree. But then also like, I'm not, I don't want to go too far with that though, because it's like, but yeah, like if you're going to question my personhood and like act like, you know, queerness, like I I actually, like there are things that I do not do anymore. Like I don't go to certain Mm -hmm. kinds of churches. I'm grown. I went to somebody's church that was around the corner from me in North Carolina when I lived there. And like I sat down and as soon as I sat down, Mm -hmm. the the pastor preacher started saying something about gay people. I got my keys and I walked out. I was like, I don't have to do this. I'm I'm grown. I'm grown. And so like, I feel, I feel that sometimes it's my answer would be, you know, struggle. (laughs) And other times like, nah, get out. And I think that both of those are actually necessary because both of those will continue Mm -hmm. to happen. Um, I think Mm -hmm. for me, there were there were two things that happened that increased the intensity of my sort of loudness about um, my different ways of thinking about queerness. And one was my last year in undergrad, I spent every day with this boy uh, sitting on the couch in one of the dorms and we would talk for hours, like every day. And we became really, really close. <laughs> and then I got drunk one night and uh, my friends took my phone and called him and said, you know, he's in love with you, right? And his response to that was, I'm not gay. And it really caused for me a problem because I said, this is, I, I can't feel this way about someone and have felt this way. And it was definitely, you know, more than flirty. Everyone noticed it. But like, mm-hmm. I can't do this and that person at least not know who, who I he, am. And who he is. And, and I need to also like be willing to like start saying who it is that I am. And so that was a real transformative moment for me. I wrote, mm. And it was so transformative that I wrote a, an article for the school newspaper that was about how oh. queerness or like homophobia is an expression of sexism and it was my first time writing anything about sexuality at Mm. all and it was mostly like you can't go backwards now Ashan like and like I I I don't know why I wanted to do it that way but it was so public that I couldn't I couldn't recant it it had to like be there and so that was like one emphatic moment of really just just trying to say, I've been thinking a lot of these things for a long time now. I've been having conversations. I've been reading things. It's time to like say something. That's like the churchy Pentecostal in me. Like you got to be bold, have holy boldness. So, and then like the 2004 election really messed with me. I was a musician for a church on 52nd and Parish. I'll say your name if you want me to. Uh, and I was, I was a musician and I was the director of the youth choir. And the 2004 election is when George Bush um, was running on family values, mm. and there was so much. So don't much ask, don't tell, family. and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the Defense yeah. of Marriage Act, Defense ah. of Marriage Act, and uh, I remember, like, I so I've graduated from undergrad, 
And I started my little online magazine with me and some people. We was writing things. Mm-hmm. And I was writing about queerness a little bit, but we had a like a circulation of like five people. All five of my friends would read it. So no one was reading it. But like I was trying to like process a lot of things that I was reading and trying to think about. And the the Thursday before the election, there was a prayer that the pastor said we were going to have instead of church service. And as the elders were praying, they were saying, Lord, we know that this election is about, it's not about the economy. It's not about war. It's about the family. We need to save the family. And I said, this is a problem. And so I wrote the pastor and I said, uh, we are a nonprofit organization and we took a political position tonight. And unless you want to um, get sued, we should probably give a balanced view of other options for people to vote for. And so I handed out material after church on that Sunday um, for other people that they could vote for that perhaps um, had more progressive policies that would actually be useful for people in West Philadelphia, as opposed to this Defense of Marriage Act, and got into arguments with people in the basement of the church. It was mind blowing because the queer people at the church were the ones arguing with me. It was yeah. fascinating. Mm. The, the election night, we had praise team rehearsal, and someone walks in. And it always goes down in praise team rehearsal. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> and he walks in, he puts his fist in the air, and he says, I made a vote for the family today. I voted for Bush. And I said, in my head, I got to go. Wow. Because I knew, I knew, uh, I said, this is, I can no longer ethically Right. Like make what this make in sense. the Donnie McClurkin of it all. I don't know. And then it turned out. She said, and did, and did. See, and I can't did. say too much. They already know. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. I, I really don't already said too much, but <laughs> any the person had their own complicated slash violent story. Mm. Violence that they acted on other people because they wanted Mm. to pretend that queerness isn't a thing that lives within them. And so, you know, I left the church in 2005. I went to seminary. Years later, I find out about stuff that's happening. And the the funniest part of all of this to me is they will still think that I am (laughs) the sinner. And people who have repented are like, I'm just like, this is. And so like it, 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 it took a series of being quiet. Okay. <laughs> I used to, like have a very um, quick temper. And I also responded to everything without thinking. I was a think later person and I embarrassed myself enough by saying something first and then thinking about it later. Hmm. I said, maybe you should just shut up. And so you ain't like, really, be- I became introverted. I really, I used to be an ENTP on the Myers-Briggs and now like I'm an I or something like that. But like, I am introverted. And part of that was a response to like, really trying to like sit and think as opposed to just allow what other people say to be the thing that I say or the things that other people believe be the thing that I believe. It really took like a lot of like stillness. Mm-hmm. And and I think I can try to practice something like compassion because I fundamentally recognize I could be somewhere else doing something else right mm-hmm. now and be deeply unhappy and be practicing a kind of unethical behavior that I find abhorrent because 
I had certain kinds of opportunities and I got into certain kinds of doors and I made a certain kind of set of choices within those contexts. But I also could be someone who was really like publicly homophobic and really hates himself and really like tell other people that they like that could also be me. And I mean, I've met so many of those folks and some of them I used to call friend. And so like I recognize that kind of struggle. And because I recognize it, I don't ever want to be dismissive while also being very clear, like these are my ethics. This is who I am. But I, I also love like the noise of black church. That's something I am. I'm not giving up. It's, it's something that I think is it has transformative capacity, but also it's something that hasn't been fully honored because I think these musicians who died in the 80s and the 90s um, are an example of the kind of unkindness we can do to one another in community as they are creating things for us. We can still be unkind to them. And so really trying to create context, write in that context, make art in that context, that's about trying to, to really compel a reckoning with the past. And to, to, to reckon with the past for me means that you can't be um, dispassionate and you can't be dismissive because you have to try to understand contexts under which people make certain kinds of choices. As you speak about artists, it also made me think of during that time, the population of black men who weren't living their truth, who actually died because of that. And other people died in the process because of that as well. Like we don't even talk about that when it comes to black men. That was the it's hard to talk about. Yeah, it's hard to talk because there is so much shame. And, you know, the shame isn't just for folks that go to church. Like, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, it's a kind of, because Black, my my friend Jay Perry would say, Black culture is churchy culture. And churchy does not mean Christian. Mm-hmm. And like, it's like the conflation of churchy with Christian, it actually is a big problem that we have. But like, because Black culture is so, I think, culturally churchy, Sometimes that does, for a lot of people, conflate with a kind of theological orientation or doctrinal Mm. understanding of like a gender, um, sex, um, pleasure, sexuality. I'm sorry, but I was going to ask you, I know I didn't know when to come in with this question, but because you've had so many studies in the area, I'm always fascinated because I never I never call myself a religious person. I call myself more Mm -hmm. of a a spiritual person because I always get stuck in the the thoughts of how it became our religion and Mm -hmm. how, you know, we didn't come here with that. And Mm -hmm. at some point it feels like, is that the one thing we thank the white man for that? I don't know. Like it just, I don't, and I I don't mean to say, and I hope it doesn't sound uneducated to you, but like, And you're trying, like, how do you, how does it direct, how you wreck this? We, we know the history, you know? Yeah. That's the, that's the trickiest part. And we can say the same thing about Islam, but it's. Right. You know, we're going to, we're going to knock your teeth out. We're going to cut your foot off. Right. 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 You don't, you don't learn these ways. You know, we're going to do something terrible to your body or to your mind. Yeah. So now it's the way we live under this book. It's so sometimes it's weird to me because I'm like, wow, we really took this and remixed it. I think it's what we typically do. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you know, to be rigid at one point was 
the distinction between being like pious as a as opposed to like loose in these in these spiritual streets, you know. Right. So it's like my my rigid how rigid I am is is how you distinguish me from the righteous and the not righteous. And yeah. I think we'll, and 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 Ashan, you could you could who told you it was right wrong. in the first place, mm-hmm. right? But but you know, and then also, I mean, you know. We we could talk Ethiopia. We could talk a lot of stuff in terms of like you know the history of of you know and and that kind of thing. That there, Africa is still Africa. Everything still came from there. True. And Africa's Africa Understood. is Africa. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> what I'm saying, or my understanding from some of what Ashan was saying, I want to make sure that we don't get too far from it because I really want you to speak on it. Is that he talked about that churchy versus Christian? Mm-hmm. The whole yeah. thing is that. So even though our grandmothers may that. have. Right. So even though our grandparents really may have gotten this rigid versus Christian, mm-hmm. right? What we're seeing now is this this really social phenomenon around churchy and what that means. And that if I look this way, if I dress this way, if I speak these words, if I have this tone, if I do this thing, if I if I present, if I do this performance, that this performance is to be Christian as opposed to that. And I just and I and, and I also want Ashanta to expound on that. But I also want to ask you a question about this thing about compassion, like the passion mm-hmm. of compassion, like how passionate are you of, of, about your search and or, or should we be in our search for compassion? What space in our like religious institutions, is there space in there for that? Are we really talking about this, this trying to seek out how compassionate we can really be? You got all mm-hmm. that, Sean. We need you to talk about all of that. I know that was, yeah, I all, all, it was that was three things. That was three things. Yes. That was the churchy thing, and then the whole thing about compassion. And then there was the history thing that I asked about too. So and the history <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I totally want to know how do you find a home. How do you find a church home when you, you know, oh, you, you come I don't, up I don't, go to I don't go to church no more. I don't, I, I don't. So like I left church in 2000. So I went to seminary in 2000. So when I left the church in Philly, mm. I took literally, I took the midnight train from 30th street station to Georgia. And I went to seminary in, in oh Atlanta. And my first year I was a, I was a chaplain at the Metro state prison for women. Um, and we were supposed to conduct their church service weekly and also pray with they gave they they gave us a woman to meet with weekly uh, for counseling. And my the person I met with weekly said to me one week, I like you because you don't pray. <laughs> I said, thank you. And uh, she she asked me, uh, are you gay? I said, yeah, I am. She was like, that's why I like it. So. We had to preach these sermons. I preached a sermon. That's the last sermon I ever preached was at one of the church services um, at Metro State Prison. For women, I left that program because I felt it was unethical what we were doing. Um, I'm a prison abolitionist. And um, I found it, I, I didn't have the language, I had not read prison abolitionists at that point, but I felt that there was something really wrong with asking us to come in every Sunday have a prayer service. Everybody's not Christian, but still everything that we're doing for them is very, very, so not just Christian because Catholics are Christian. It's like, no, this is a very specific kind of black Pentecostalish, non-denominationalish practice of, of, of Christianity 
that we're doing for uh, the women every week. And I had to I had to leave it because it felt uh, unethical. And so that was me really leaving church. And I haven't since really sought too hard for a church home. It's not something that I look for. What the Black church does well and what it historically did well was provide space, literally. It's like, it's a space that you could go um, weekly, sometimes daily. You knew it would be open. You knew that they would have resources. You knew that you could like come and sing music. You could learn things. The choir don't sound good. It don't matter. Like you're still gonna go to choir rehearsal. You're still gonna try to learn. Like it became a form of gathering in community with others that you knew was available. And I think that the availability of the space and what it provided in terms of like social community actually got conflated with the doctrines of certain churches to say that because the space was provided, the doctrines of the church must be right. And so that rigidity is actually a miss, it seems to me, a misunderstanding of what it was actually offering. That rigidity is a refusal to actually understand that what more than anything, what the church was providing was space. I think that had it been another tradition that offered that same kind of space and that kind of regularity of gathering, then it would be that other kind of thing as opposed to church as the sort of dominant. And I think that the thing that people like me laugh is a place to go where that kind of regularity, where people know you'll just show up and you'll do the things and you'll be there with the people and you'll learn things and you'll grow together and you'll argue with each other. You won't like each other and you'll find a new one. But like, it's there's something really, uh, that's community because it's not about agreement. It's about like being together and finding things together. Huh? And so like, and consistency. And so I think that the rigidity um I, I, I often wonder if I am just as rigid, but just now in, in another direction. I'm really, really rigid about like prison abolition. I'm really, really rigid about queerness. I'm really, really rigid about loving Black people. And I'm really not going to bend on that kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I don't, but I don't want it to feel or be doctrinaire in the way that, you know, when I was a young person, I mean, y'all going to hell, that's okay. <laughs> that's what you're going to do. Like, and just being very much like, that's that's you. That's the decision that you have made. And so trying to not be rigid, but also trying to still have a sense of consistency. And it, it, it feels really important to me to to try to to try to do that. I forgot the other two questions. I'm sorry. It's all good. I just I, I feel like the the way that we interact with each other has to have like a, a, a consistent baseline mm-hmm. and when we're talking about when we talk about belief and we talk about you know um what kind of binds us together in spirit that if it's absent of um you know compassion like you said you you feel like those are things you're original i'm rigid about compassion compassion is a that. thing to be rigid about it, it <laughs> yeah. should be like a can I just say, okay, I remember one thing I wanted to say. I wanted to say that Philly was a really important city for me to be in when I was having my various existential crises because Philly is also the first place I have ever lived where I was meeting consistently 
people who are variously identified spiritually and also it being a really black Muslim city. Like I remember meeting an organist and I was like, oh, you play really good. Did you grow up Kojic for Church of God in Christ? And he responded and said, I'm a Pentecostal Muslim and kept walking. And I said, that doesn't make any sense to me. And yet. Welcome to Philly. I went on a date with someone and we were arguing at the table about he's Jehovah's Witness and Muslim. Mm -hmm. And it's like I was real Pentecostal still at that point. And like neither one of us thinks we're going to heaven. We both think we're going to hell. We're defending our spiritual practices very, very deeply while at the same time, like also flirting with each other. It was fast. And like Philly is a, you know, I was a musician for two churches with um, women pastors. One was really big. There are many churches in Philly with women pastors that have big congregations, which I had never been in the city before with this kind of religious complexity. I was going to say it's a few queer congregations as well in Philly that are really kind of dope and special. I was playing for one church and we had gone uh, and she had gone to preach at this other church and they were announcing this person who was going to be preaching in a couple of weeks. And I knew I said, well, that pastor is a lesbian. And she's out. She has an open and affirming congregation. I said, what kind of church are we in? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, Philly is, for me, uh, such an important zone to think about the spiritual practices of Black folks. And I think being there and seeing and being a part of that kind of deep complexity, like literally going to church with folks who was like shouting one day and was like, well, I just took the Shahada. So, and you're like, very next day. Like, like it was like, it was, it was, I think it was necessary though, because it really was able to finally dislodge me from this idea that one, Pentecostals are the only church people. Church people are the only ones that are saved. Maybe saved is not a thing that you even need because what does that concept actually do? But like, it was the first place that compelled me, forced me to confront a lot of the accepted realities because I was looking at things like, but this is like, I'm saying this is reality, but what is happening doesn't cohere with what I'm saying. And like having to deal with that in like a real place was really difficult, but it was a real, it was a real, real, real gift. And I'm really thankful um, for having that kind of confrontation in that kind of place. More conversation after the break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you, if you could? Would you? When we come through... It's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. What I'm gathering is that stillness is important. Mm-hmm. Writing, too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, typically we're all by ourselves with our pens, you know, or, you know, our computers or whatever. We're, we're typically by ourselves. It's just our thoughts on uh, paper. And paper tends to, you know, I, I say this, that when, you know, you write it down, it becomes real. Yeah. Yeah. So in these moments when you or I, anybody, all of us, we're trying to figure out our way because we've been so um, indoctrinated by our parents and our community um, about what is right. Um, we, we, We realize that there is no absolutes when it comes to uh, a, a church or community, you know, yeah, um, yeah. there's no absolutes. We're really multidimensional as people. There's, there's so many flavors in one person that is, it's really not fair to, um, to, uh, put folks in boxes. The, the boxes are unhealthy for us, in my opinion. And eventually if you manage to travel a little bit, if you manage to have conversations with with other people, with just other people, sometimes it's on a bus, sometimes it's on a flight, sometimes it's just in the in the market or in the mall, you know, having a conversation with someone. Um, if 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 those things open our minds and ultimately it's up to us to own ourselves and to not. Um, box ourselves in and beat ourselves up because because sometimes it's that's the way it, it seems that the the church community is is abusive. I know, I know, I'm not supposed to say that. I, I mean, oh, that's the way it looks to me. It looks like that's the way it feels too. That it can be very it, abusive. It and feels that whole really compassion harmful. thing you're talking about, yeah, seems like the winner. Where is the compassion? Where's the kindness? Yeah. Where's the love? Where's the the understanding that we we all are sinners? Um, <laughs> right? Am I am I making this mm-hmm. up? No. Well, they would also say that no, the compassion no. is by telling you that you are wrong, but the things that they tell you that you're wrong about. I was about to say, who to tell me what my sin is? I mean, that's, I don't that's, know. That's for no, me. That's what my like question was the, in the beginning. I was like, I. 
the thing about it is that because this is something we all think about so much in our private spaces and, and it's so hard to just be really honest about what we're actually thinking because I think it's one of the last things that we struggle with being truly honest about because we're really afraid of what people will say and what they will think about us because and, and, and I don't know what the because is but I do know that that is very true mm-hmm. and that um, so when we do have questions and we when we are really trying to trust our own instincts it becomes an argument within ourselves first Um, because there's that voice inside you that's consistently saying well no you can't think about that because if you think about that then you're going down that road you're not supposed to go down and you're not supposed to it's going to end up boom in this place you've been trying to avoid ever since you ever started learning about your relationship with God and I think there's this thing that 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 inner argument is the first one and Mm -hmm. it is the last one you know, it is the one that starts the whole process and it's the one that ends that process or transforms that process in the very end. And I know that that's why many of I know why this is a hard conversation for us to have, because I know that we're all still having that conversation within ourselves. At least I know that I am. You yeah. know what I mean? But I really well, encourage everybody, if I had anything to say, would be encourage everyone to really be honest in that conversation with yourself as much as possible. Because the thing is that what Ashan has told you again and again is that you can have this dual existence and justify it for a very long time. And be if so you are, unhappy. And mm-hmm. if you are not being honest in the conversation you're having with the self, yeah. and then it really it really begins there. And the compassion that we're talking about, that passionate compassion, starts with the self too. Yeah, you must be compassionate to the self if you're ever going to walk into an institution of any sort and love the person who you are, and not allow that's, anything that is said or done in that institution to define you if you have not had that important conversation with yourself it is just essential and you will set yourself up for others to hurt you you will you will get harmed otherwise Sean, may thank I, you so I, much I'm, I'm sorry no no please you we were saying i just want to say really quickly i had a friend years ago who once i started like thinking differently about sexuality he was also a church kid I would tell him like, well, I don't think the Bible actually says that in Hebrew. It doesn't say that in Greek. And he would say to me explicitly, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear it. And his his reasoning was, if I, and he said it, like, if I find out that I was wrong about that and what the church said about that, when will it end? Because I don't know how far I'll have to go to figure out maybe like everything that I thought that I believe is wrong. And I'm just, I don't want to have to deal with that kind of impact. And I'd rather not think about it at all. And so I do think that we have to be willing to ask ourselves those questions. And like Jill was saying, you have to like, if you if you can't ask it, maybe write it down with a pen or use your cell phone and send yourself a, a note. But like, like try to like at least, at least be honest with yourself because you know I also I still, it's a place it's a place that has compassion too. That's the thing. Like it also taught me how to love. It taught me how to ask questions. It actually being in church taught me leadership skills. Literally, like they said, do this church service, and I was fifteen, and I said okay. Like it taught me so much about how to be a person who 
loves myself. Like, and that's the thing. I struggled with loving myself. I didn't like myself, but like, you know, I've been single my whole life. Um, and I'm ha- not happy about that part, mm. but I really actually really, 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 the one thing I don't question is if I love myself and if I am kind to myself, but like, I think that it is, it's so hard to hold the need for this kind of compassion because to begin to ask any of these questions it 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 can uncover so much but i think there's so much beauty that is possible to be discovered in the uncovering if we are in certain kinds of communities that will hold us in care while we are doing that kind of uncovering work so i believe suppression is the brother sister of depression yes and what's what's my favorite one of my favorite lines is running ain't gonna save you Mm. so true Mm. can you tell that to a couple of boys i know please (laughs) (laughs) trying to run but it ain't working running ain't gonna save you it doesn't save you nah this is this is your right. This is this is such a tough conversation because wow, I mean <laughs> we can see all the disparities. We can see them. They're, they're bold. They're they've mm-hmm. they've got um neon around the captions. <laughs> yeah. We can see it all. And pretending that it's not there. I, I'm not, I cannot see how it benefits us. I, I'm not sure. I love the idea that um, there's a community. I love the fact that, that there's sharing of information, that uh, building the, the community. I think I mentioned that. I, th- I like that part. But. And that's the part you take. That's, I, I go to church and I'm, I, I'm not, I never call myself a Christian, but I shout out to Pastor Waller, Alfred Street Baptist over there in DC. I mean, in Virginia, because hey, Pastor Waller mm-hmm. be giving the good sermons. And sometimes I just need a little motivation and whatnot. But I, you know, I still say, I don't know. I, I haven't picked my squad. My squad is just me and the Lord, my relationship. That's me and the Lord. We talk, me and the Lord. I ain't picked my squad. Nope. <laughs> nope. That. Sound, yeah. sound pretty squad deep to me. Like, yeah, me and the Lord. We tight. And then my grandma, because she got my back up there. So, you know, it's like us three traditionally, you know, I say, what's up to him and her and then we good. Yeah. But, you know, um, I'm agnostic, but I listen to Dorinda Clark Cole's I Am Still Here. I'm like, look, I actually, (laughs) there was a lot that was trying to conspire against my being here in this world today. Mm. And like a lot that could have, you know, taken me out. Most of it was in the church (laughs) and like, I'm, but I'm still here and I'm really thankful that I'm still here. And so like, sometimes it's like the sermon has the message or yeah. sometimes the, the song has the message. Listen, it still I'm, has I'm Muslim, but I'm going to tell you right now, I shout. I shout because I'm an African. Listen, I shout because I'm an exactly. African. Yes, yes. I'm gonna tell you right now that 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 t- if one thing about church that touches me is that is that dance. That, that yeah, shout the, right there. Oh, the, that right there. Cause I will mm-hmm. find a corner and yes. get it out. Okay. Yes. You know it is what it is. I think we all know where where the spirit and the energy connects. Mm-hmm. And the whinings, the shout no, and the whinings. That's where it come from. The shout right. and the whinings. We're 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 the Clark sisters. We know and the Clark sisters. Yes, the Clark sisters. Jesus. 
Yes. No, that's real. That's, I mean, that's the argument of of Black film cost of breath. It's literally the argument. It's like this, this it's is not, the this is the consistency thing. <laughs> yes, that's the consistency that whatever all the things that we have brought in our in our bodies in our that's DNA, us. they are still very very relevant. They still occur. All of yeah. it, and we need but, it still. Yeah. We need it more now. Still. We need it still. Uh, I ain't following all them rules, though. Y'all got that. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm good on the rules. I'm, you know. I, I like, like my pants. I like my pants. <laughs> and my sex before marriage, or else I would have never oh. had no sex. Hello. Not sex before marriage. <laughs> Me too. No sex before marriage. I, I put that on as a prescription because I know too many people who <laughs> held out and waited they mad. They mad, Jill. And, I'm and, glad you know too many people because I don't know a single solitary one. I, I know, know several. One that waited. I don't know, I know one several. person that waited. You know, None Jill, Jill got JW homie, so you know first her squad. This is true. Yeah, yeah. 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 this is true. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you right now, no one. You know what? I don't know one. But y'all sound like a bunch of sinister me. <laughs> we all on the way guess what you also sound mm-hmm. like a bunch of humans yeah. I thank you so much for thank listening you. to j.ill the podcast I thank you with Sean you know you. opening doors is, is a great way to see what's on the other side thank you y'all <laughs> blessings thank you thank you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time it's Laia filling in for Amber today. And we just want to say thank you again to our guest, Ashawn Crawley, who shared a story that so many can relate to because the intricacies of church are real. So if you're struggling with leaving a church or finding a new spiritual path, we want to encourage you to check out some of his work like Black Pentecostal Breath, The Aesthetics of Possibility, and The Lonely Letters. We'll drop a link to both of these books and more in the show notes. You can find Ashan on social media. His Instagram is Ashan Crawley and Ashan Crawley Art. You can also find him on Twitter at Ashan Crawley. Thanks, y'all. And always, thank you for listening. Yeah. 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 Hi, if you have comments on something we said in this episode, call 866-HEY-JILL. If you want to add to this conversation, that's 866-439-5455. Don't forget to tell us your name and the episode you're referring to. You might just hear your message on a future episode. Thank you for listening to Jill Scott Presents J.Ill, the podcast. J.Ill is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.